the boom and bust of the music industry creates some incredible life lessons. One month you're on top of the world, the next you're scrounging for any type of placement. This is especially true for our guest this week, Brandon Burnett. Brandon got his first publishing deal at just 19 years old. He traveled all over the world, writing and recording with different artists, learning how to collaborate, and producing some amazing music. Then things began to turn. After some internal politics at the label he was signed to, he was dropped with little music to his name. But after some time to adjust, Brandon pivoted to become an independent artist, taking control of his career and giving birth to Emanate. Brandon joins us to tell the story and the valuable lessons he learned on this episode of The Big Break. I grew up in like a lot of different places, but my hometown is St. Louis, Missouri, because that's where I went to middle school and high school. My upbringing was really interesting. My mom and my biological father, they were in the Air Force, so we traveled around a bunch. Got a sister that was born in Germany on an Air Force base. I was born in Florida on an Air Force base, and then eventually we landed in, in California. I started school in Long Beach, which was pretty cool. I spent from like probably three to seven in California. And then we, my parents, my mom, my stepdad, uh, who I pretty much call him my dad because he raised me since I was four. But she met him around seven. We moved to Houston. They were working for Whole Foods. They were like opening up new Whole Foods. And then that job led them. I spent three years in Houston. And then that job led them to St. Louis. So it was really dope, kind of like musically, I guess. My, my stepdad was a singer on Capitol Records. So we would always be listening to R&B and soul and funk. I was getting that influence. Then I had an older sister, four years older than me, who's like loved pop music. So Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Britney Spears, all that stuff. And then the the music from the three kind of places that I considered I grew up, like Long Beach in the early 90s when I was there, it was like I'd be playing outside with my toys and I'd hear freaking Tupac and Sublime and Snoop Dogg and just all the West Coast stuff that was going on in the 90s on the radio and I remember just loving that style of music which just reminded me of playing outside and walking to the beach and all this stuff and then Houston was really interesting because that was when Destiny's Child was blowing up and my sister was obsessed so I would get a lot of like in Houston was where I got a lot of the pop influence like you know Houston's a really cool area with you know the some of the hip-hop stuff but mainly the R&B and with Destiny's Child so I got into like that whole side in Houston and then when I got to St. Louis and I was 10 years old. I'm pretty sure like Eminem was just coming out. And then we had Nelly was popping off. And Nelly's from St. Louis. So I was getting exposed to like a different style of hip hop. And also like in the Midwest has a lot of soul and jazz. And I grew up in a lot of churches in St. Louis with my one of my best friend's parents was a pastor. So we'd go around churches every Sunday and drive three hours into Missouri and go to these all black churches and um, they're called AME churches, Methodist churches. And the culture of music in that kind of setting was so different than anything I've ever seen. So different than, you know, the beach Islandy kind of vibe in California. And then so different than the R and B pop vibe in Houston. It was kind of like, it was like music was, was healing in the Midwest. So um, 
yeah, it was really cool. You know, I had a lot of um, I had a lot of downtime in St. Louis. There's not really much to do at all. So people just, you know, bullshit party, you know, go to the mall, smoke blunts, get into trouble. And so I was really kind of like not an isolated kid, but I was kind of like a nerdy little kid. I liked video games and toys. And I remember getting had a keyboard and I had switched schools in St. Louis to a, a neighborhood that wasn't as good as this other school that I was going to. And so I felt really weird for my first two years of high school. I just had no friends. I moved to this new district and it was kind of like in a ghetto neighborhood. And I felt like this creative kid and I, I would just do my homework in class and then, you know, have a bunch of time at home. Friday, Saturday, we roll around. Nobody would hit me up. No parties, nothing. So I, I spent those, those two years in the beginning of my high school career, just writing songs. I was writing so many songs. Like every day I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this town, but I just like love writing music and I've been exposed to music and I just want to do it. So music kind of really like helped get me through like my adolescence and kind of gave me a passion. I'll, I'll never forget being 15 years old and, you know, having maybe like five or six songs recorded and, and, and watching MTV and VH1 back when they had fucking music on it. <laughs> and, and looking at it and being like, wow, like, how am I going to record my songs like this? How am I going to do the videos? How am I going to do the photos? How am I going to just do this? Like, it seems like so many steps. And here I am just writing my songs. And I, I'll never forget my dad. But again, he's my stepdad, but he, I call him my dad. He, he was like, the best advice I can give you, man, he was like, you just keep writing. He's like, just keep writing. He's like, don't focus on anything else right now except for just writing the music and see where that takes you. So that was the best advice I ever got because by the time I graduated high school, I got a scholarship to NYU and I had probably 80 songs, maybe like 90 or something in my catalog because I just kept writing, kept writing, kept writing. So yeah, it was really cool. Just the whole, the whole influence of how music kind of infiltrated my life and gave me a purpose really early on. It's a really bizarre to know what you want to do for so long and also be now I'm 29, you know, so if, if, if I had that dream incepted in me at 15, I mean, it's damn near twice, twice of that time that I'm just now into this career and just now able to make these things a reality. But it's, it's really awesome because I feel, I feel, especially as, as time has evolved and we have more tools and technology and everything, it's like become a lot easier and harder to break through but a lot easier to just kind of create your own world and create your own music and create your own sounds and all this stuff so yeah that's a little bit about how i got how i got into it how i got influenced by it so when you were writing those songs um were you writing them with like the goal of um recording them yourself or getting yeah. them placed i mean I, you, like if those you're 80 those 80 songs yeah, um, like I mean, your dad's dad's probably he probably knew like the music industry and how everything worked, which can yeah. be for someone that didn't have that would be mm -hmm. like I don't I don't even know where to start. I just know I love yeah. music, but totally. But, so what was your what was your plan with this? So I didn't really have a plan. It was crazy. I didn't I you know it's funny I I really didn't know that the music industry was more collaborative. Like I don't know what I thought. I just thought like oh my favorite artists must write their their own songs. Like you know. They, it must be just them and the music like and and to be fair like my favorite artist growing up like with john mayer and like for the most part john mayer writes a lot of his music by himself and and collaborates with great musicians but i didn't even know uh, how it worked so i never thought about writing with other people i never thought about sending my songs to other people i was i was just at the time like putting my stuff on myspace i put like maybe five songs on myspace and would follow a bunch of fans of people that i like i remember colby calais this girl colby calais she was huge on myspace and one republic would like was huge on myspace and i would follow their fans 
message their fans. It was really always like, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to do this. You know, I didn't really even, I feel like I became a songwriter and like started writing for other people and all that stuff by default. Like when I, uh, we'll get there, but like basically after I left NYU, so I was there for six months. I had all these songs. I met a producer at Clive Davis who wanted to record some of these songs for me. And I was like, this is great. And we can start just recording and pick any one of the 80 songs and we'll record them. So, um, and then I did, you know, I did a talent show at NYU and I played one of my original songs. And then I made this, I got a manager, made a decision to leave. And it wasn't until I left and I traveled. I went over to Norway for three weeks and I recorded with some live musicians, only songs that I written, not written with anybody or anything. And then I came back to New York and I was sleeping on some couches and, and got a publishing deal at 19 years old. And I didn't even know what that entailed. I didn't even know what publishing was. I was just like, that's cool. Somebody wants to give me some money for something. That's awesome. <laughs> and, but I, I didn't know that I was signing that deal at the time as an artist. And most people sign their publishing deals as, as a songwriter. So, um, being signed first to Sony as, as an artist. And then right after that, about six months later, getting signed to Warner brothers as an artist as well. I jumped into writing for me with other people. So like from only writing by myself to then getting signed, my, my A&R at the time, this woman named Cara Diaguardi, and she's a songwriter herself. And she's very connected. So she, she literally called me and she's like, for the next two years, you're going to write for, write with all these different people and you're going to find your sound and le- learn how to write a hit song. And I was like, what do you mean write with all these people? I didn't, had no clue what that meant. So I started, uh, moved out to LA, 20 years old. I started writing, I spent a month in like some temporary housing and just did a session every single day. And out of that, it was so exciting because I'd never collaborated before. It was really frustrating too because when I, when I was writing music as a kid, it was very emotional. It was very personal. And then you're expected to walk into a room and just be like, hey, what's up? My name is Brandon. Like, here's my heart. Like, here's my soul. Please don't step on it. You know what I mean? So it was very, very difficult to open up. I was very nervous. I didn't really have my voice. But through it, I was working with some incredible people, some, some huge hit songwriters today. And, and even back then, they were killing it. I got some of my first songwriting cuts through that process of working with other people and realizing, okay, hey, you know, I can do this genre or I can do this sound or, you know, maybe I let this person lead a little bit. But at the end of the day, like, you know, is it what I need to say as an artist? Is it what I want to say as an artist? And then, yeah, some of the songs that I just didn't feel like were me or my the label didn't feel like were me would get cut on other artists and, and start charting in different areas. So I was like, I didn't even know that I was a songwriter. Apparently I'm a songwriter now because, you know, my songs are getting taken by other people. So it was really, it was really interesting how I really got into it. I've always just wanted to sing and write my music. And that was the early period of my life. And I guess now, you know, getting closer to 30, I really do enjoy like wearing multiple hats. Like I produce for other people. I write for other people. I've done a kid's album before. So many ways that I never, when I was a little 15 year old me sitting in my room being like, how am I going to do all this? I didn't even see the massive industry that there is. Like what's on the other side of it for me at 50, if I'm making that long or 60 or something like that, how I can, how I can be a part of it and be that manager or be that publisher or be that connection for another young person. So it really has evolved. Like my whole, my whole game plan about it has evolved over the years from just selfishly trying to be an artist, only write my own songs to, Hey, I love music and I have a gift in music. And how can I just make the most of every talent that I have? Right. A lot of that just kind of the evolution of how that, how you understand the industry, right? It's like, you know, you started out not really thinking, 
thinking that uh, you know every artist writes their own songs, but uh, yeah, you know, it's really a, kind of the evolution of your thought. Yeah, really, and it was kind of mind blowing. But it's 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 a beautiful thing when you when you peel back layers of of things that seem impossible or challenging, and you kind of see no, it's just like kind of like an ecosystem, just like the world. It's got this little ecosystem of of different ways you can you can be involved in it. You know. Yeah. So it seemed like that was kind of a whirlwind of of activity for you. Like yeah. who, who was the producer that you met in New York when you were first at NYU? Oh, man. This guy named Adam, he's, uh, he was, it was so funny. We met over some weed. He was just like, you know where to get some weed, man, in, in New York. And I was like, oh, I just moved here, but I do know there's a delivery <laughs> service. <laughs> and so we like just, you know, hung out in his dorm and we pulled up MySpace. He had like MySpace, I had a MySpace and I showed him some of my early demos and he was like, yo, actually I have, like we have this class project for this semester where we have to find an artist and develop them mm-hmm. and, and write a song with them and produce them. Would you want to do do this to one of your songs? And so we just became really good friends and went to the studio and did this, you know, did this song. And then he ended up taking it back to class. He was at Clive Davis at uh, Recorded Music at NYU. And he would play, you know, the song we did back in class and his teachers and other kids would be like, yo, like, who is this artist? It was so cool how it happened because I was in musical theater. I was studying like freaking Broadway stuff. I I knew I could sing and I I wanted to act, but I'm not a dancer. So I was like literally in in, like music ballet classes and stuff like, why am I here? You know, my homies (laughs) over in Clive Davis, like making beats. Like, why don't, why am I not in that school? So I remember one day I was, I was literally... I tell this story a bunch, but I was literally like in a ballet class, like doing a freaking plie. And then my phone goes off right before the class is starting. And my homie's like, yo, like you got to hear this mix. And I was just like, oh man, it's nine in the morning on a Thursday. Like all I, I wish that I had just, like I was just in my life right now. Cause I would just go to the studio. Like if this was my job, nine in the morning, my producer tells me to come by to hear the mix. I'm there. You know, I've done that now in my life now, but I was just like, I want to get there fast. So I, I I didn't go to class that day. I literally told my teachers I'm sick. I don't feel like you know I I can make it today. So I went over to the dorm and uh, he played me the mix and then you know showed me what his teacher said about hey you know is this kid interested in doing an artist project? We can connect him to some people and and maybe even is he interested in coming to Clive Davis and all this stuff? And I wasn't going to completely switch my my focus like that, but it was definitely flattering and gave me some confidence because I was just this little kid you know playing piano and singing i had no clue how to record my music or how to make the sound of it this was like when i took my music from being piano vocals or guitar vocals to like fully produced mm-hmm. learning how to sing behind the mic learning how to layer my voice which tone to use all of these it was like a crash course working with this kid of how to like take your stuff from like live and being super talented raw organic to like putting it down and like what kind of sounds did you use or what kind of drum patterns it was very very um a very big learning curve for me because i learned how to produce myself through watching this kid work and like what kind of sounds that i liked um and i just would study him we'd be you know we'd be smoking weed in our dorm for eight hours working on something and i'd just watch him like click around and move things and you know put things around and i was just absorbing it like a freaking sponge it was so dope yeah that's (laughs) long-winded No, that's good. That's cool. It's a, such a, a chance encounter that, uh, you know, kind of set off uh, some dominoes for you. Yeah. That's what my was, first mentor, my best friend. <laughs> what was it like uh, going to Norway after that and like recording that that demo? That was so cool. For, well, first of all, it was really challenging because my full ride 
I had a full ride scholarship and it was a really interesting program called the Am Bryce Foundation. And they give it to three students and you, you have to build houses in Rio de Janeiro and you have to do meetings every few weeks. It was, it's a beautiful scholarship. It's a very great opportunity, but it's very time consuming. And so in order to, to leave um, school for the two weeks or I think it was two weeks, maybe 10 days or 11 days, even just to get those few days, I had to take a full on sabbatical. I had to take time off um, to kind of pause the duties from the scholarship and to be able to do that. So that was a tough decision. My family, you know, it was a great opportunity to go and travel, but it was just like, you don't know what's going to come of this. And then you're gonna have all this time. Like, how are you going to pay for yourself? And like, you know, just pick back up and all your friends are going to be, you know, moving quicker than you and all this stuff. So it was, I was really getting overwhelmed. And then I was just like, you know, forget it. I'm just going to go. This is going to be a really cool opportunity. I'm going to record my songs. This trip turned out to be the most domino effect thing in my life. It's so bananas how you come up to like a crossroad in your life and you can have two clear options and like two like alternate timelines and parallel universes. And, and sometimes you do the safe one and you find yourself, you know, it's all good. And then sometimes you do the risky one and there's some tribulations and trials, but I found even eventually through the risky one, you can get to that same kind of end point. But I saw myself staying and missing everything. So I said, hell no, I got to go. So I went and uh, recorded with a live band like John Mayer status, which I've never done that before. That was really cool was to take my songs and have be playing the piano and Rhodes while the guitarist is tracking the guitars and the bassist is playing the bass and the drummer's playing the drum all at the same time. You're coming up with parts. It was super cool. And I was so young. I didn't really know how to do it, but I was just like having so much fun. And then we recorded for about five days and then I flew to London and I met with like a, my first label ever, uh, Warner, Warner brothers in the UK. And I bombed that meeting. Like <laughs> this guy was asking me like, where did I see myself in 10 years? And like, keep in mind 10 years ago is when I had this meeting 10 years from then is where I'm at now. It's like, I should have been like, I see myself producing for myself and other people and like having my own house and a compound and working with other artists and developing my fucking smart ass was like, you know, I want to be like John Mayer and like really change my sound with every album and, you know, evolve it. Like, and he was like a red flag. He was like, you, you, okay, so basically you don't know your sound and you already want to change it. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> the worst thing ever I could have said. So I, I bombed that and I was like, oh, this is great. You know, my first meeting, you know, I really, I really fucked up. And so I was really kind of, kind of sad. And then I, you know, I came back to um, New York and I couch surfed and I let the, the rest of the six months burn out. And it was really crazy because I was like, I just didn't know. I was like, what, man, I'm good. I'm going to go back to school. Like I got to finish the scholarship. My sister also went to NYU and she didn't get that much of a scholarship. So she's been She's been in debt forever, but she, it was like really tough on my parents. They had no money. So they were like, Brandon, you know, you really should just go back to, to do it. Nothing's happening. You have no momentum. Nobody's saying anything. And then the day that I had to decide to go back, I get a call, a faithful call. And my manager's like, hey, you know, the guys in Norway, they're doing a deal, a, a songwriter deal, like a publishing deal with Sony ATV in Sweden. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. I was like, what does that mean? And he was like, they're gonna sign you and then you're gonna be signed to 
Sony in Sweden. And so I was like, oh my God, that's so exciting. Like, what does that, what does that entail? And he was like, you're going to be writing, potentially write for other artists. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. And so I called the student affairs and I was like, I, you know, I'm not going to come back. Like without even question, not even thinking like, can I make both work or anything? I was just like, I'm about to, you know, start my career and I'm just going to dive in. And as much as I want to be, you know, at NYU and get a, a, a degree, I don't think that I wanted a musical theater and I'm not sure that I just want to switch to, you know, the music program. Like I definitely want to study in something, but I'm just not sure how to apply it, you know, yet. So it was a really hard decision. My whole family was kind of just like, uh, what is he doing? You know? And then, and then I signed, signed with them hundred thousand dollars later, I was like 19 year old. And I was just like, what my mind made this money like like the the songs in my head like in my my voice in my songwriting like somebody believed in me to give me this like what do i have to you know i'm like should i give it back to them or whatever and so it, it was cool because it gave me some stability you know to get a place and you know as a 19 year old kid i wouldn't i don't think any 19 year old kid who who has no clue how to like do taxes or anything should get that that amount of money without somebody's help, like, you know, a solid business manager and stuff. And these are things that I learned, you know, in this whole process, but it really gave me an opportunity to focus on, okay, now that I've gotten through this like chance experience, like the, the moment, the opportunity, like it's random Norwegian guys signed to a big company called Sony in Sweden. And they, they want to be a part of my team and help get me a record deal in the U S. And I was just like, I was like, now it's time to go from writing songs in my bedroom to like, you know, being a freaking artist, you know? So I, I started collaborating so much. I started writing from the get-go. But this is why I was going to say it, was, it turned out to be a really, really big opportunity because these publishers, the guys in Norway, they're still a part of my career now. They've only gotten bigger. They they signed this writer named Caroline Aylin, and she wrote the song New Rules by Dua Lipa. So like they've blown up in the last two years. So it's been like, they've been with me for 10 years and, you know, they've been grinding, 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 but it's really, really been positive in the last two years since they've kind of gotten on the map a little more. And it's just so funny how you just never know. I mean, I would never would have thought in 2009, you know, my random Norwegian buddies would be one of the strongest publishers in, in Scandinavia. It's crazy. So it, it turned out to be a blessing and it was really cool to kind of, mm. kind of record my music in Norway and, and find out that the music industry was much bigger than you know, what I was experiencing in St. Louis, watching it through the TV. And then what I was experiencing in New York, kind of living it. And even what I've experienced in, in LA, you know, the music industry and, and the entertainment industry exists everywhere. And there's so many cool places to get inspired and create. So Norway has been like a second home to me. I've probably been there probably 13, 14 times now at this point. And it feels like it's definitely affected the Scandinavian style of, of music, which is very pop oriented and, and you know, the Max Martins from Sweden and all this stuff. And it's really affected like the reason why I getting some of the cuts that I get and write for some of the artists that I write is because I grew up in the nineties and then also like Scandinavia just has that nineties shit on lockdown. <laughs> Man, it sounds pretty surreal getting that, you know advanced from sony like was that oh, that that was that was nuts you know i was an idiot i i'd taken too many girls out thinking that i was a hot shot <laughs> and you know you didn't even have things like uber then you know what i mean so like i can't imagine yeah it was cool you know i, I probably i probably that deal and getting that money so young 
taught me so much about money hmm. because my parents never really had a lot of it. And to be honest, they could be listening to this and they'll know they're not really good with it either, you know, but it taught me the importance of things that you can do when you have money to secure your future that I never thought about. I mean, like wasting money on rent, you know, in, in New York city and in LA, like that hundred thousand dollars is gone straight up from four years of rent. That's insane to me. So if you're not doing something to put that, to make that money possibly curate other money, like the best thing I did was buy equipment, buy my own laptop and Logic Pro and a keyboard and speakers because that was something that I was able to um, create more ideas and more income and send more things, you know, out. But yeah, things like getting, you know, health insurance and, you know, life insurance and making sure that your mental health is covered and, uh, all these, all these things that really you don't think about. I mean, some kids nowadays, and it doesn't really happen a ton, but some kids nowadays get millions of dollars for these deals. Mm. And, and I'm just hoping that they got great teams behind them. Cause it's like, buy some property, get some equity, invest in things that matter and also invest in yourself. That's the number one thing that I wish I did when I got that money was just like, if I was paying for my own videos and art, like I do now independently, like every dollar I make, I'm budgeting the next music video. I'm paying for a mix. I'm paying for the promotion and the PR. And at the time, I was like, ooh, money for a living? Yay. You know what I mean? And now it's like, no, how can I turn this into my business? How can I you know, save a little and make sure that I got my rent covered, but I can also help out my family if I need to and get that dope piece of equipment? It's never for me. It was never like clothes and cars. But my shit was definitely like girls, <laughs> you know, girls. Like, let me just, I would literally take girls out and like eat McDonald's and then like be like, whatever you want to eat today, baby. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. You want a bottle of red wine? Let's go. $200. It's fine. You know? So I, I learned a lot from that period, you know, and, and, um, and then, you know, it was funny cause I got signed to Warner brothers right after that. And that was another advance. And that was another, that was going into 21. So that I experienced a lot of, of lessons during that period. And the, I guess the best thing just, I'm I'm sure I'm just jumping around between a bunch of things, but I guess the best thing I learned is like uh, being independent versus like having that money and having those deals. is like really the hardest person that like, it's got to work when you're trying to do this kind of thing. It's like you can have the great publishers, great team, great manager, everything. But like the hardest person is like what you do with your time. And like I learned that money is really just time because eventually like it either runs out or it multiplies or you need more of it or whatever it is, is that if you're not using your time in between the times, you know, that you're making that money to do something, anything positive. Partying to me is not really positive. I've never felt like I've deserved to party because there's just so much that I want to do. And yeah, I have to stop myself and have fun and enjoy myself and slow down and hang with my family. But I really do think that like it's all in our hands, especially with writing songs. It's like if you can write a song, I could literally get off this podcast right now. Boom, there's a hit. I caught it out of midair. If I wasn't off that podcast, I wouldn't have written that hit. Oh God. So imagine you replaced the podcast with like, if I wasn't at this party right now, if I wasn't fighting with my girlfriend right now, if I wasn't at this job nine to five, what mm-hmm. could I do? You know? So I try to, I try to flip the whole power structure of my mind. It's not about chasing the check. It's not about the major success. It's not about making tons of money. Although that's amazing. It's really about securing myself the time to 
really lean into my potential and just explore what, what I can do, you know, with my life. As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties that were getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy to understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. So are these days, are you pretty strict about your time, like how you divide it up and what you spend time on? And Yeah, definitely. And, and that comes from just being a modern working musician where some days I have things that are, are paid and other days I have passion projects and I really just have to kind of block it out. And it's been cool to have a studio in my house because I really do most of my work from home. So, but I just have to make sure that like, you know, that being said, everything is treated like a job, you know? Like I, I wake up at, at, at 7.30 and I get on the clock from 9 till 4 doing stuff, you know? And then I spend my evenings, you know, going to movies, doing ever, whatever. But I try and block my time management has been really key in, in the last year. It wasn't really – I wasn't – when I went independent, I had no clue of time management. I was just like, let me just email people all day, all day, all day. And they're like, let me just work on music all day, all day. I was like, no, you really got to like go through and if you're trying to do – multiple things like write for other people, write for yourself, tour, you know, all these different facets require a little bit of energy. Um, so I kind of like treat it like yeah. a little bit of school and what a little bit like of job from, you know? the si- Yeah. What was that like going from the signed artist to the independent artist? That was a huge wake up call. All of a sudden these amazing collaborators that I, that were at my, that can call that I could work with, you know, they were just like, do you have any budgets now? You're not with Warner brothers. And so it was really discouraging because I had felt like so much excitement when I was signed. And then I felt an immediate shame. Like people were like, Oh, what happened? Like, you know, what did you do? And I was just like, I was signed for five years and I tried, I written fucking 8,900 songs in this period and the politics, you know, it just didn't work out. So I was really, crushed i was gutted i'll never forget getting a call from my manager at the time because getting signed was like a dream it was insane let me just backtrack for a second so i got published and then cara diaguardi heard my demos in in brooklyn and she flew me out to la to showcase just piano vocals no tracks i didn't play them anything just piano vocals about 30 people in the room in warner and she was really excited the whole label was really excited it, it happened like a dream it was like boom 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 
And then I came out and started writing for two years and working with all these people. And she would get really kind of frustrated. And, and to be honest, there was a period of time where I was partying a ton because you get to year three or four and you're signed. Now I'm gone from this fresh faced 20 year old, 21 year old to now I'm like 23, 24. And I'm feeling like I have no traction. I have no music out. Like and they had me dropping covers and shit like that. And I was really kind of going stir crazy. So there was a, there was a periods when I was, you know, I needed to slow down. I checked myself into rehab because I was just drinking and partying too much. Not for like a, not like a crazy, not like superstar status, but it was just like, you know, a week of just like, Hey, I need to just detox and shit and get shit together for myself. And, and, you know, got, got out of that situation, came back to LA couple of cool, exciting things were happening, but it was really like a dead end. I, I'll never forget talking to Kara and she was like, I've really tried, you know, with this label, um, to get them to prioritize you, but they're just not going to prioritize you. And and she's like, and to be honest, you know, unless you do something radical, unless you're writing crazy songs or we get you a big hit on somebody else, you know, you can't party and just like exist on this label. Like something is going to happen. She's like, so she ended up leaving the label and I was just like, this sucks. Hmm. This is my mentor. She literally taught me so much. And I, I feel like I was just fucking it up. I didn't know what to do. I'm just like, well, I'm only partying because nobody's giving me any fucking plan of what was going on. I have three different radio release dates, three years apart. I had the same date in October for my song to be released three years in a row. And I was just like, by the time October came around, they moved it yet again. I was hmm. like, I guess it's going to be next year, you know? So when that happened, I had no A&R for like a split second. My manager uh, at the time, he was like, you know, we got, we have a, this one single. I wrote this single with this guy named Sean Douglas, who, who he's, he's gone on to become a really successful pop writer. He wrote Heart Attack. He wrote, you know, Talk Dirty, Jason Derulo. He's written so many hits. Um, anyway, at the time we wrote this song called Thanks for Nothing. And Kara was like, this song is a hit. Before she left the label, she's like, this song is a hit. You have to get this out. So my manager meets with this guy named Mike Karen, uh, who's the head of Warner Music Group. He plays in Thanks for Nothing. And Mike Mike Karen loves his song. He's like, let's just have one of my guys produce it. We'll build an EP. And so I spend the next two years. So I'm going now going into my fifth year on this label. Building a project with Mike Karen, cutting feature vocals, cutting songs for Wiz Khalifa to sing on and, and uh, Flo Rida feature and, and thinking that, you know, my career is going to pop off. I got I went from having Carity Guardian. My life was shit. I was fucking rehab for a week. And then, boom, you know, I got this badass dude named Mike Karen killing it for me, setting me up with shit. I'm meeting dope artists everywhere I turn and people are calling me a priority at Warner. And it was just like unreal. I felt so good. And then, and then we get the re- release date yet again. And I, I had this fateful session in, uh, at Atlantic and I'm, I'm supposed to be meeting with this guy who runs Capital Radio in the UK. It's one of the biggest stations and he's looking for an artist to get involved with and back up and support and turn into like a global thing. You know, I'm pretty sure Charlie Puth ended up doing this deal and the wanted, this group, the wanted did it and little mix. They all, the, all these guys, it's like super international kind of vibes. And it was, I was so nervous and I was playing some of my songs and Mike, Mike was there. And this other guy comes in Aton, and he's like, Hey, you seem really, really nervous right now. There's a session going on in the next room with another guy on Warner brothers on your label. 
and this producer named Cutfather. Do you do you want to go see if you know you can chime in and just meet him, and maybe you can like write something until this meeting starts? And so I was like, sure, you know, anything to not be nervous. So I walk in the room, and they're playing this beat, and they asked me to go behind the mic and sing some melodies. So I just freestyled some melodies, and I leave, and I go and do the meeting. Meeting goes well. They don't end up wanting to sign me, so it's whatever. And then the next day, I get a call. And they're like, yo, that artist who you're in the room with, they actually really love the hook you did. Can you go back today and finish it? So I was like, okay, great. So I'm hanging with the kid and he's like, he just signed a million dollar deal with Warner Brothers. And I'm like, wow, I've been here for five years. They gave me a hundred K and they signed this kid for a million dollars. I'm like, who's the priority probably, right? So I'm thinking, well, this is great. You know, I'm, I'm a songwriter. I love writing for other people and, and this kid was going to keep me on, on the hook. And so I was like, oh, this could be cool. A little Bruno Mars, B.O.B. type of vibe, you know? Last thing that happens is the song gets finished, it gets turned in. They want it to be this kid's single. They're going to push it to radio. They want to make him sing. So he's, he was rapping before and they want to make him a singer. So they took me off the hook. They put him on the hook. And I was like, that's totally cool. It's not my type of vibe anyway. It's totally fine. And then our both of our songs get set up for the same like impact date, which was fine. I was like, I never knew what a label does when they launch multiple artists and whatever at the same time. So our songs come out and they're both on these organic, like kiss 102.7 song challenges where they battle two songs against each other. Right. (laughs) And so my song was like beating out all these other random songs. And then, and then it came up against the song that I wrote. And so it was like first flight home was his name of the song. And then thanks for nothing. Like which, you know, which one do you choose? And my song was beating this, the song that I wrote out, which is the priority for Warner. And I never forget. I was so excited. Cause I was like, yeah, this is so cool. Like little old me getting on the radio right now, like hella organically, mm-hmm. you know? And then we get a call from the radio department and they say, Hey, listen, you know, we, we signed Jake and he's kind of like our priority. So we're going to have to, push this song over things for nothing at the radio and so i was just like i don't know what that means how come you can't push both because it costs a lot of money to do these kind of campaigns and so they tried to explain it to me and like i'm just like after five years i'm like are you fucking kidding me you know i'm not throwing a tantrum or anything but i was like well at least this is good for my publishing you know that that song ended up breaking top 40 the song that i wrote and you know did pretty well and all this stuff but about two months later you know we get the call that they just dropped me it was just like that. It was they, they looked at the list of artists that, you know, weren't impacting and, and hadn't, you know, made a ton of money yet or compared to the new acts and they dropped some product managers that I was working with and I was just canned with that whole thing. It was really fucking hard because I was so excited. I went from the most excitement, like my, my whole life, everything was open up. Like everything was like Boom, I'm getting on the radio. Holy shit, this is crazy. And then like two months later being like, well, there goes that dream. And all the music along with it, which is crazy. And it, it wasn't. It was really cool because Warner only kept the EP that I was putting out and I had written hundreds of songs signed to them at this point. So I have a whole catalog of music, you know, that I was writing with hit songwriters and stuff like that, that that I got a chance to keep and kind of like place on other people. A lot of the songs from way back in the day came from that day. I, the big Backstreet Boys song that I wrote recently, I wrote right when I got dropped, a song called Breathe, six years ago. Um, so it was really cool to to kind of like, I bounced back kind of quick. I was really depressed for a bit. I had no money. And then I met a girl and she was an artist too and trying to start her own 
life, you know, and try and make a modern living from it. She was like, we got to get up on Spotify. We got to get up on Apple. And so I quickly just pivoted and I said, I'll never wait for a label to make it happen for me again. I'm just going to create the music myself. I'm going to figure out how to market it myself. And it may not be the same type of budgets that they got, but I all have a career. It more than I had when I was signed for five years because I had only put out that one song in those five years and I'd built some fans, but by no means had an opportunity to build, you know, in the way that I was able to independently by choosing my own release schedule, choosing my own singles, choosing my own collaborators, you know, all that. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it seems like the classic story of, the music industry, like ups and downs. It's like, here, this is it. Everything's coming my way. The dominoes are falling. And then you're dropped. And it's like, oh no. Like what, what? So like, I mean, were you, you, you said that was kind of like your valley of, of uh, despair, I guess is what they call it in business or like, what was your plan? Like, did you, were you just like, fuck this? I'm going to go get a job somewhere else. Or were you? My first thought was let's get another deal. I don't know why that was the first thing I thought. And I guess it was just the way I was trained. My manager at the time was like, you need a label, you need support. And so, but then I was really, really like, as soon as that came out of my mouth and I said that, I knew that it's going to be a lot harder. Like once you get dropped from something, like it happened. Bruno Mars was dropped. Katy Perry was dropped from two labels. They got picked up and they blew the fuck up. So sometimes it really is the right team. So I thought maybe I could be that story too. And I quickly realized you know, people, when you're on a major label like that, people go, what, what was wrong with it? You know, why, why would we pick this up if, if they didn't see it then, you know, and spend more money on it, et cetera. So once I realized that, you know, banging on some doors wasn't going to work, I went through a really bad depression for a second. My parents were going through the divorce. It was different. My mom and my stepdad and, um, my girl was thinking about getting a job. She was pretty much taking care of me and she, we're not together anymore, which I call her my girl, but at the time she was my girl. Um, so she was supporting me essentially. And I was, I was making just a little tiny bit of money. I don't even know how I was making it. Like maybe like just writing songs for other people, random people through Craigslist or something. I was just making like a couple hundred bucks or something. And you know, she was doing background, um, on TV shows in the background, just making a couple hundred bucks again. And we were staying in this little place together and then we couldn't afford it anymore. We had to borrow some money from family and friends. It was awful. I was like, Oh my God, especially because at this point I'm 20 fucking five or no, 24, 24 turning 25. And I'm just like, Oh no, here we go. You know, I'm in love with this girl and now I can't even support myself. And now I don't have any idea of how I'm going to make money or do anything. So we, we moved out of that place and we moved in with her parents for six months. And that was the hardest period of my life. A really good period, but it was really hard because her parents lived near the airport in LA and uh, it was far away from everything. You know, we didn't have a door on the room. We stayed in their little upstairs loft and it was great to ground a little bit, but it was also like, okay, I need to get the fuck out of here. You know? So I, I would, I remember I'd be in my car um, producing and because I, I couldn't just be in the house and I just felt so weird being in, you know, this girl's parents crib, just like as a 25 year old dude. So I would just be in my car, make a beat and, or I'd go to a co- coffee bean where I could get Wi-Fi and make a beat, send some emails. And then I'd cut the freaking vocals through my iPhone headphones in my car, you know? And I, I remember I dropped my very first track, this song called a thousand degrees of separation. 
in uh, after producing it and in the coffee shop and recording the vocals in the car, I dropped in and I got some huge blog that I was into, this blog called Hilly Dilly. I told them the story about how I made it in a coffee shop and did it in my car. And they were like, yo, this is modern independent music. Like you got to keep doing this stuff. And it encouraged me so much because I was just like, all of a sudden the song had like 10,000 plays. And I went from, you know, being afraid to drop music before feeling I had to wait. And to, to, then I dropped something out of desperation, just like, this is all I got. This is literally all I can make. And it, and it kind of reacted in a way. And so that, that kind of gave me the bug. I was like, I need to do this more. Like if it didn't work, maybe it didn't work because I wasn't updating and releasing and all this stuff. And I was just like, and let's just see if this starts to work a little bit. So I slowly but surely started dropping my own singles that I would produce entirely on my own. And, um, you know, it was, it was like first a couple thousand plays on SoundCloud. And then eventually it was finding ways to get onto Apple and Tidal at early days before everybody freaked out about the freaking playlists and like, we have to get on playlists and all this stuff. It was just like, let me just, I, I looked at the playlist and I actually listened to the playlist and it wasn't like I knew that that was going to change my shit. But I was just like, I wonder how I could get my song on here. So I would start typing in, I would look up on LinkedIn who like, Spotify curators or like Apple, uh, who does the pop playlist on Apple? And I would look for their name. And then I eventually I found out maybe if I put their like first letter of their name with their last name, it'll go through, <laughs> I swear. And so I probably emailed, I probably emailed 50 or 60 people from Spotify and I would try the combination and always get a bounce back. And then when it would go through, <laughs> oh my God, I'll be like, yes. And I got, I got a lot of responses. So I actually got through independently. I got through, um, to the Netherlands, uh, this curator from the Netherlands, Spotify Netherlands. And they, they responded to my email and put my songs, my early songs into a couple of playlists. And they've been in these playlists and anchored into them. Like, now with millions of streams but that move of me reaching out to them literally turned me from having you know no money at all to like when, once you see your first million streams that you own the majority of the master once you see what that money is it's just like wow holy crap i didn't know you know so i, I got really into and it wasn't about the money but i got really into like let me get as much music out as possible and let me just try and find out how to get it out there as possible and if it's right now that it makes a hundred bucks or in five years it makes a hundred thousand you know i just want to get it up there you know i never wanted to do what i did with warner which was just wait and hope that other people are going to do something that i needed to be doing for myself wow. you know that's pretty amazing what what did yeah. you say to them in those emails i was just like hey my name is brandon you know i i i would be like i was signed to a label for many years and you know I just recently gone independent and I've taken my career into my own hands and I'm my own manager right now and I'm my own, you know, producer and I'm my own cheerleader, you know, and I just, I, I'm hoping that this email falls upon your ears at the right time and you at least get a chance to, to hear what I'm putting out there. And it was so cool. Some people never, ever, ever responded, but a lot of early people like Mike, the game who used to do all the new music Friday playlists, he was one of my first supporters. He would email me back and be like, managers hit us up all the time labels hit us up all the time he's like we never hear from the artist directly until so obviously that changed mm -hmm. more recently i was like thank you mike mcgain but he's like we never hear from the artists hustling for themselves like this you know and you're doing something really unique creating it by yourself and it was so encouraging because i mean the playlist game ended up becoming so huge in the years to follow but early on to, to have these people 
respond to something that I put out there so positively and also like to learn about myself through, you know, eventually I would just be sending every single song to all of these people and I had to learn, okay, how do I, how do I slow that down and kind of give a focus and make it purposeful and not just be like, oh, they supported it last time. Let me see if I can get another playlist from this time. You know, it's like, no, really, which song is the important one that tells my story that I really want to share with people? What am I reaching out to them for just for the support or am I really just trying to fucking find the people that get what I'm doing, you know, and, and maybe it can help expose it to more people that, you know, aren't able to make this type of music that need to hear. And that's what's the cool thing about these platforms like Spotify, Apple are, it's such a music discovery tool. And these curators have such a great opportunity to put incredible things in front of these listeners. And it's like the radio, the radio is such a, a prize possession. So, so few songs are on the radio, but if you're on the radio, you're, you're in everyone's ear, you know, and, and Spotify has kind of been the modern thing and it's a little more inundated now. It's a little more saturated now, but it's kind of the modern way where it's like, you can exist as an artist, and not be on the radio and, and have a career and make some money by, you know, being in front of this vast music audience out mm -hmm. there, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of brings up an interesting point that you say the story that you told these curators that hey, I'm, I'm the, I'm my own manager. I do this, I do that. Um, I'm the one that's reaching out to you. Um, and a lot of musicians, uh, songwriters, artists, producers, it seems like they're approaching their careers more as, uh, as if they were managing a business. Like if they're the CEO of a, of a company where it used to be like, I'm the creative, I do the music this my lawyer does this yes. my manager does this Here's my team. um yeah but today it's like you know i'm i'm in charge of everything i'm i'm looking at the royalty checks i'm making sure i'm getting everything here and there you know i'm doing my marketing right um do you find yourself still kind of in that that mindset yeah i think i think you're bringing up such a good point because infrastructure is really important and that's something that I didn't know at the time when I signed to Warner, you know, I had all these things. I had a business manager. I had a great lawyer. I had all these t team players, but I had nothing going on. So I'm glad that I had those things, but I didn't know enough about, about that and what that meant. And I didn't know enough about what I had to do for that to matter. You know what I mean? So like, I think up until, I think you should be your own manager. You should focus on these things. You should learn as much as you can. But if you, you definitely, I, I do agree with the fact that like, sometimes you really got to focus on the creative too, because it comes down to the music at the end of the day, straight up and the ideas behind the music. Um, but having a team that when it, if it does pop off, you know, or if you do have a hit on the radio, they can find your money. They can help you make sure you're not being taken advantage of and help you make smart decisions in your career. So I think it's important to find those teams like the team is so key but you really do have to lead the way you have to be the one who who knows what's missing in the in the team you might not need a business manager right away if you're not making a ton of money why give five percent away to somebody who you know when you're making fifty dollars from something mm -hmm. like you know what i'm saying if you're making 500 grand and 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 every deal you're doing super bowl contracts and stuff that that's when it's like you'd be insane not to have uh, a, a solid team but i i think it's important for people to understand that the modern music industry is a lot more achievable pending you um you learn and you soak in the knowledge that's available to you so finding out the sim if you're going to release into music music independently it's like simply finding out all of the distributors that are out there and available to you 
you know, is like a huge thing on your own. You could have somebody come in and be like, oh, you should put it out with AWOL or just put it out with DistroKid. You know what I mean? Like, and if you don't look at these things and you don't see what kind of artists are dropping with them or how they do with these releases, you can just do the wrong thing. So it's really important to do your own due diligence on everything and, um, and kind of like have a voice because I, I, and some artists are just entertainers straight up. Some of them don't have a voice and some of them are pop products where they get told where to go. They show up to what they ought to do. They do the type of music that they know that the label and the fans will like, and that's totally cool too. But if you're trying to make something where you you're at the end of this, you know, like on the other side of it, past the pop star phase, past the touring every you know, year for 90 shows a year or whatever, like when you're in your later life, I think it's important to know these things because you can just help the next you, you know, so yeah. exciting. Is that kind of your plan is to help the next you? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Not even the next me, something way better than me. Just like, I can't wait to, and I'm already feel like I'm starting to work with, you know, up and comers. I'm always been an up and comer type of guy. I love working with talented people who are, you know, just beginning and stuff like that, because I feel like there's a rawness and that I admired and, and that I felt about myself and kind of like an untainted, like um, not jaded approach. But it's also like people like that get easily, you know, fall into the wrong things or not even that I feel like sometimes I'm the right thing, but just to be able to share the knowledge that I've had for some of these younger artists or people who are just getting started, I think that's part of this whole thing. It's, it's like music, right? You don't write a song just to blow up and be famous. It's like an exchange. You're giving something to the world. And it's like, it's a little more selfless that way when you think about the end goal more so than just the, the right now. And they always say, don't think about the, the, you know, the destination, enjoy the journey. But at the same time, it's like knowing the destination so that you can really set the right intention on your journey and it's hard to do on the in the music industry just to know what that destination is yeah yeah i have no clue i'm just i just know that it's coming i, I know that i'm moving toward it which is nice. exciting um what other products do you have in the work right works right now yeah so i'm just wrapped up my next eight eight track project for emanate i've been working i had an ep that i wrote with uh jesse mccartney it's pretty cool from back in the day I have a song potentially coming out with this kid, Logan Paul, which is interesting. He's like a YouTuber. It's something I've never done before. Um, what else have I been working on? Uh, some K-pop stuff, which is really cool. Korean pop. Yeah, I'm really well, – I'm trying to think. What else am I doing? Oh, I'm going in to write for Dua Lipa in the next couple of weeks, which is cool. That's back with the Norwegian um, crew? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually, it's out here. It's out here. But yeah, no, it's re it's really it's really exciting. I mean, mainly my my main focus. I love writing for other people, but that's so random how that happens. Maybe I, I would be more successful if I only focused on it. But the thing that is uh, the most fruitful and the thing that gets me the most exciting is is, is building my artist project. So I kind of write for other people when I get called in to to do things, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, I find when I'm with the artist, the songs end up coming out, which is really cool. But um. I just have so much to say. I'm going through so much. I'm going through a breakup. You know, um, I just turned 29. I have just found my voice with hip hop and kind of like the the style that I want to make in my lane. And and I I'm really cut open right now. Like I could I could write every single day right now and feel like it's my favorite song. For some reason, I'm just in this space where I I feel like whatever's happening right now in this in this year of my life is going to be like the seeds that are planting 
my thirties. You know what I mean? I have, I have this very bizarre feeling that all the artist work that I've paid, like been building toward is going to pay off. And I'm just about to start doing touring, which is very exciting too. And all that stuff. So yeah, all over the place. Well, it'd be exciting <laughs> to see. And it's like, you know, if you can plant some seeds today, that's always, uh, it's always good to watch them grow. Right. And you never know what can, what can grow. It's yeah. just have to plant them right. and water them. Well, man, it's a yeah interesting story, and I'm I'm glad we uh we we had the time to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of The Big Break. You can follow Brandon on Instagram and Twitter to keep up with his independent career. And if you know anyone who might be shifting their focus to a more independent path, share this episode with them. We'll see you next week for the brand new episode. Until then, take care.